Brew Strong is brought to you by Blickman Engineering, home of the top-tier brewing stand. Visit them online at BlickmanEngineering.com. Time for the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think, Jamil Zainashev and John Palmer. This is Brew Strong. Hey, howdy, hey, my Bruin brothers and sisters. Greetings, my master. <laughs> okay, it didn't come out right. But anyway, hey, everybody. Hey. I'm Jamil Zanchef, my co-host, John Palmer. Always searching for something new and different. <laughs> and Sexually really or brewing. <laughs> and, uh, Brewing-wise. <laughs> and uh, my good friend, Mike Tasty McDowell, is here with I'm us in the house. Well. Yeah, that's He's right. in the house. He's also my co-host on a, a fine little show that uh, we like to call "Can You Brew It," where we uh, clone your uh, your favorite uh, commercial beers. You send in requests, we clone them. We get recipes and uh, blind taste them side by side. We do, yeah, and uh, it turns out pretty darn good. And uh, uh, Mike is we're surprising uh, ourselves actually. Essentially, the uh, the uh, master brewer there that uh, knocks all those out for us. So, if that, you got that's questions, show I wish I could be there for. That would be fun. It'd be yeah. fun to have others. Yeah, it's fun to be a taster in that show. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a serious debate. I mean, we really, you know, yeah, we go down and dirty in these things. We, you know, sometimes it's like, oh yeah, everyone's like, yeah, it's clone, that's clone. Sometimes it's a little more split, and sometimes you know we're all going uh, not clone. So different, but better sometimes. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a fun show. I enjoy doing that. Well, let's see here. This is a live Q&A show. Actually, we do, uh, like every third show now is, is one of these live Q&As. So if you've been emailing with all these questions you have, you can just uh, tune in live on thebrewingnetwork.com. You go there, click that link that says, uh, um, what does it say? Chat now? Yeah, hit the chat now button. Hit the chat now button, and you can join in. It doesn't require a password or anything. I think it has a field there for it. But you just type in whatever name you want to appear on the screen. Hit the enter button and you're in, and uh, there's other people in there, and Justin's uh, moderating the chat so he can get your questions and, and ask them here in the air. And, uh, you know, as long as they're somehow related to beer or brewing, we're, we're not afraid to answer them. And uh, the reason we're here doing it is uh, our good sponsor, uh, Blickman Engineering. Uh, BlickmanEngineering.com. They've got uh, a lot of great uh, equipment out there, real creative uh, building a top quality equipment that uh, makes your brew day easier and more consistent, and uh, you know, generally a lot more fun. I think uh, you know, with nice equipment, take, take some actually, pain out of brewing. Yeah, well, and, and I think you just enjoy brewing a nice equipment. It's just, it, yeah, I, I don't know what it is. I like you know uh, that type of thing. Well, it's like it's like the sight gauge on the brew pots. You know, yeah. Mm-hmm able to see your volume right away you know no takes the guesswork out um takes some of the anxiety out you know have i collected all the word i was looking for mm-hmm. you can look on the site gauge right there and it tells you 
um, or you know, if you're wondering about your mash temperature, the the pots have uh, uh, their thermometers mounted in the side, which you can you know adjust to you know so you can see it readily and uh, get yep. you know gives you a reading right there. So they're, well, they're uh, convenient equipment, right? And Blickman's always coming out with new new. Uh uh, equipment, new new creations, new inventions, uh, like that beer gun. You know, completely rethought the whole process of uh, uh, filling uh, uh, beer bottles under pressure. Uh, you know, uh, change change the way that that people do it. And that's uh, you know uh, the kind of thing that they do there. So real cool. Check out the website. Check out the products. And uh, if you get a chance, send them an email. Tell them you appreciate that they've paid for you to uh, listen to the show for free. So. Uh, give them some support. Same thing for Brew Your Own Magazine. Uh, I write a um, uh, uh, column every issue on uh, styles, and uh, you can get uh, BYO by going to thebrewingnetwork.com, and uh, you'll see a big BYO logo. Just click on that, sign up, and uh, half the uh, subscription price goes to the Brewing Network, which is uh, very generous of BYO. Also, uh, you know, if you get a chance uh, while you're there at the site, you can browse through the store see copies of how to brew john's uh seminal work on uh you know i think that's considered the bible for learning how to brew now i don't yeah, think uh, i don't think it's uh, kind of surprising uh, isn't it yeah yeah <laughs> he, was in the, he was in the hotel <laughs> drawer last time i uh, at the aha conference <laughs> right, right, the right the and next to gideon yeah, gotta get the gideons to uh start <laughs> distributing yeah yeah, I was, no, I was on some forum or something. I, I told somebody said Brewing Classic Styles was a Bible. I said, yeah, we just need to con- convince the Gideons to start home brewing, and uh, <laughs> we'd be set. Yeah, that would really get distribution up. Yeah, John and I also worked on this book, Brewing Classic Styles. If you if you don't know, and uh, you can pick up copies of that as well. Uh, and uh, again, the uh, the uh, profits go to the bottom line of the Brewing Network. Keep. Uh, all these good shows going. Uh, the Sunday Session, Can You Brew It, Brew Strong, and uh, that show that you know, we really shouldn't talk about. All right. <laughs> so let's get down to the, uh, the questions. Let's all take right. that first one and, uh, uh, you know, kind of get ourselves wet. Okay. <laughs> so to speak. All right. We'll get right into it then with uh, when making a sour beer, a good yeast question. Um, do we need to worry about yeast autolysis? Uh, that's his first part. Mm-hmm. Um, he wants to know, then if so, you know, what should the racking schedule look like? Balancing leaving the beer on the bugs versus uh, right. avoiding dead stuff. Uh, yeah, you should in in, in a way. Um, you know, anytime you're going to leave a beer at warm temperatures, you know, room temperature or around that, um, you know, above cellar temperatures even, um, you know, the yeast in there is going to eventually break down. And when it does... Um, you know, the cells release a lot of uh, material that, you know, bacteria can feed on. If you have a large amount of yeast, it can actually, you know, affect the flavor of, of the beer as well. So on a sour beer, now, now keep in mind, if you were looking at, um, uh, you know, at the end of fermentation where all you think all your yeast is dropped out and there's no yeast left in this thing, right? Uh, you know, you fermented for you know, a week and you've let it sit another week and it looks brilliantly clear to you. There's still probably about a million cells uh, per milliliter of beer there. And, you know, if you take um, uh, water, pure water, and 
you add a million cells per milliliter, it just barely starts to look hazy uh, or turbid compared to a sample with no water. I mean, you just barely notice that uh, there's something in there. So that's how little visibly it affects. So if you actually remove the beer from the yeast at that point, there's still a considerable amount of yeast in there that is going to continue to drop to the bottom, continue to break down over time. So when you're making a sour beer, you start out with um, you know whatever yeast you're doing. Uh, let's say the main yeast has uh, you know flocculated out. Go ahead and rack that over to another container. Uh, either you add your bugs there, or if you've had them at the beginning, either way, it's fine. There, there's still plenty of yeast in there that are going to die, break down, provide food for the uh, the souring organisms. Um, and if you find that you still have a huge layer of yeast after that, you can go ahead and rack it again. Mm-hmm. You don't want too much in there. The difficulty comes in, you know, you don't want to do too many transfers and add too much oxygen. Uh, the more oxygen you add, the more acetic your sour beer is going to be. If you have Brett in there or um, hopefully hopefully you don't have acetobacter in there, you really shouldn't. Um, but the Brett, the more oxygen the Brett gets, the more acetic acid or vinegar character it's going to generate. So if you're already in a, you know, a oxygen permeable container, um, you know, you can end up with too much. So you want to watch the transfers for that reason. So did I answer the question? <laughs> you know, go ahead and so. rack it off the, the initial, you know, cake of yeast after the first, uh, you know, week or two. And then, you know, you shouldn't have to worry about it after that. Okay, and the same listener has uh, a similar question, but about bottle conditioning a sour beer. Mm-hmm. He's got a couple of 18-month-old Flanders that are just getting sour like he wants them to be, um, and he wants to know what special care needs to be taken. Uh, does the acidity cause conditioning problems? Will the yeast crap out? Uh, how long would it take uh, to bottle condition a beer like this? Um, oh. oh, all right, so, so they're not in the bottle yet. They're not in the bottle yet, so he's going to, and rather yeah. than force carb, he wants to... You know that it can be dangerous to uh, bottle condition uh, sour beers because you know if you're not sure that the yeast have finished or the all the critters have finished uh, generating gas, um, you know you can end up with an overcarbonate or a shattering bottle. So um, that's one of the concerns. If it's if you're sure it is, you can go ahead and you know add back some simple sugar and. Uh, uh, you know, add some yeast, and you know it should generally uh, carbonate. It depends on how acidic uh, the beer's gotten. It can get to a low enough uh, pH where things stop, but um, you know it's hard hard to say without testing the individual beer. So, so you could check the bottles every so often. To make yeah. sure you're, if they're getting too high, then you're going to have to like, refrigerate them to stop the process. Right, definitely. Uh, you know, if you refrigerate below forty degrees, things slow down dramatically, and uh, you know that, that's a good point, Tasty. Uh, and I would, uh, you know, I I uh, force carbonate uh, or and uh, uh, fill with a uh, filler uh, all the bottles after that. I don't uh, believe you in don't bottle try to conditioning bottle condition anymore. No reason being. Um, there's plenty of, uh, you know, when I go ahead and bottle beer anyways, there's plenty of yeast already in there. So the yeast are getting the, absorbing the oxygen that may go in through through filling. So you get that benefit. And by not adding more yeast, 
Um, I don't get a problem with long-term storage with the yeast dying and, and creating off flavors in the beer. So I don't see any reason to um, bottle condition any beers. I mean, the the yeast are, are alive in there anyways. You know, I mean, there's no need to add more yeast for these right, beers. Right, okay. and and no need to add any priming sugar either. Um, you know, reason being, when I go ahead and bottle, I've still got about a million cells per milliliter, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe a little under that. You know, Sierra Nevada, they filter out all their yeast and then they add back a million cells per milliliter. Mm. Okay. okay, well, <laughs> you know, so You're I got the same amount of yeast. Right. I'm not, um, you know, so I don't want to add more. And, um, uh, you know, you could add, you know, the difference would be, you know, adding some sugar back. But, uh, you know, I don't I don't think the, the yeast really need that. You know, they'll pick up the oxygen regardless of whether they have sugar. Uh, so going back to that guy's question now, um, he said, he said the beer is about 18 months old and he, it looks like he wants to bottle condition it now to provide the carbonation. Mm-hmm. Um, how much priming sugar, I mean, you're, we're not going to add any more yeast. We're going to let the, right. the bugs that are in the beer do the fermentation to carbonate. Yeah. How, how much more simple sugar do you think he needs? Do you think he needs the typical three-quarter cup, six ounces, or maybe half that? Because maybe there is some still some residual eating yeah. of the... After 18 months, most of the stuff should be gone, I would think. Um, yeah. You know, so I would use the, the full amount. Because even when you use regular yeast to, to carbonate it, you know, although I guess the generation of CO2 could be different, but um, I would even toss in a little bit of yeast just to... Uh, you know, ensure you get some carbonation. Again, if it's, you know, super sour, uh, some right. of the bugs stop working when the acid gets kind of high and so do the yeast. So, again, I don't, I don't do much bottle conditioning anymore. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, take a short break, and when we come back, we'll have more of your questions right after this. When Blickman Engineering set out to design a great brewing stand, they knew it had to be strong, adaptable, and last for a lifetime. The top-tier brewing stand is now proudly available at BlickmanEngineering.com. It grows with your brewing skills and equipment. Start with 5-gallon coolers on its heavy-gauge stainless steel shelves. Then move all the way up to 30-gallon pots on the high-output burner tiers. Speaking of burners, the custom Blickman Engineering top-tier burners are extremely powerful, efficient, and amazingly quiet. They have safety stops to center your pot, and they'll last a lifetime and won't rust. The top-tier brewing stand allows virtually infinite combinations from traditional gravity systems to two tiers to completely horizontal. Configure your stand the way you want and have the freedom to change it at any time in the future. Your brewing stand should adapt with you, not force you to learn a new process. Visit BlickmanEngineering.com today to configure your top-tier brewing stand and to find a local Blickman retailer. You'll be surprised with all the flexible features and the competitive price. Start brewing with Blickman from the top tier. Downtown Joe's, located in the historic Oberon Building in beautiful downtown Napa, California, offers an award-winning brew pub experience from 8.30 a.m. to 1 a.m. every day. For 15 years at the corner of 2nd and Main, Downtown Joe's has been voted Best Night Spot seven times and Best Brew Pub for the last four years in a row. Brewmaster Colin Kaminsky's handcrafted ales, like his Tailwagon Amber Ale and Catherine the Great Imperial Stout, are the perfect accent to Riverside Dining, live music, and a relaxing outdoor patio. 
Don't miss the Beer of the Month, special rotating taps, and happy hour all day Mondays. Visit downtownjoes.com to make reservations, peruse their extensive calendar of events, or just read more about their fantastic beers. Come enjoy the fine beer, food, and music. Downtown Joe's, the award-winning brew pub where you'll feel at home. Where were we? You stole an oak barrel from the mist of Ravenwood and Lord Zinfandel the Avenger is in pursuit. Do you drop the barrel and run? Hells no. We need it for our Flinders Red. I'm going to cast Pediacoccus Damnesis on the barrel. Sorry, your ghosts are imprisoned in his winery forever. I hate it when Greg's the brewmaster. This sucks. What do we have here? Orville Rodenbach? Buzz off, guy. We got a brew session going. Is that an actual beer? Yeah, I crafted it. I don't really use the dice anymore. I'm a 10th level beer nerd. Are you a 10th level beer nerd? Do you get a long-lasting foam stand when you think about wheat malt? Then you're in good company at Northern Brewer. Northern Brewer has all your beer nerd needs, ingredients, equipment, and knowledge at northernbrewer.com. Plus, fast, cheap shipping, only $7.99 for the contiguous USA. And check out Northern Brewer's huge selection of dorky beer kits, including the pre-prohibition lager. Perfect for steampunk. And the single hop best bitter. Now on cast and 10 forward. Make 10th level at northernbrewer.com. In the past year, the Brewing Network has been able to add two new shows, expand our studio capabilities and quality, and bring more beer information home to you than ever before. In no small part, this is due to subscribers like you. Thank you from all of us at the Brewing Network. Without your monthly support of any denomination, we could not bring you the very best in live beer radio like Can You Brew It? Brew Strong and the Sunday Session. Haven't signed up yet? Join your fellow brewers in the BN Army. Sign up today at thebrewingnetwork.com for a recurring donation as little as $2 a month. Besides all the great live radio you'll support, every subscriber is automatically entered in monthly raffles for amazing brew gear like a conical firm a temperature control system, or your own draft setup. Become a part of the Bee and Army today. You will what's it feel like? Take awesome and multiply it by two? Yeah! <laughs> Spraying live beer radio all over your face. <laughs> Can't get any better than this, baby. <laughs> it's the Brewing Network. Back to the beer guys that make other beer guys look like... Wine guys, brew strong. All right, we're back. We're answering your questions live on the air. I got my good buddy Tasty McDowell in studio with us, and uh, also uh, my co-host, and also uh, good buddy uh, John the Rock Palmer. That's me, <laughs> the one who's greeting the Cretans. <laughs> All right, what's our next question up, Justin? All right, well, we left off with bottle conditioning, and I've got more bottle conditioning. And this one's about bottle-to-bottle consistency. Vivek from Belmont, California, says uh, he's fairly new to brewing. He's just bottled his fourth batch, and in each batch, he observes some wild variations from bottle-to-bottle in the amount of head and the amount of sediment that gets kicked up during the pour. He says, all my bottles are stored under the same condition. I open two at the same time and have a thick head on one and nothing on the other tried shortening the the bottling time i've I've done longer and and nothing seems to change it so uh what can I do to make each bottle more or less the same well you know i had this this is tasty i had this uh problem uh, when i first uh did my first few batches of bottle conditioned beer and what I found was that if i didn't stir out of my bottle my bottling bucket which i just you know added this new sugar to uh, i would get uh 
sugar would tend to go to the bottom, and I was essentially siphoning off the bottom. So I would get basically putting an inconsistent amount of sugar uh, in each bottle, and I noticed that sort of variation. So I would just occasionally stir that uh, gently, of course, because you don't want any oxygen pickup. Uh, gently, you know, stir the uh, sugars in your bottling bucket occasionally. It might help. Same thing if you're adding more yeast. Um, and also, one thing that it, it does have an effect is um, when you store your bottles, don't store them all tight together. Um, leave a little space in between each one. And uh, try and keep it in an area where, you know, if you keep some warmer and some colder, you're going to have variations in uh, uh, that. And one really common thing that uh, may be happening if he's getting, you know, uh, a normal head in in most of them and then a giant head in some, mm. it's probably contamination. It's bottle contamination. So yeah. it's bottle or, or, or the process of filling the bottles. And, uh, you know, and this happens a lot of times when people reuse bottles. They're just not they're, – they're difficult to clean thoroughly. I mean, it, it, it takes some doing to make sure you get a nice, perfectly clean bottle. And that could be the case as well. You know, uh, one little bit of dust falls into a bottle while you're in the process of bottling. You've cleaned and sterilized them perfectly evenly. And it's sitting there and, you know, dust drops in. Uh, that's enough to you know give you some wild yeast bacteria that can uh, you know take it further. So that can happen. All right, and Vivek has a second a good question about adding sweetness to beer. He said, "There's a a beer hating element in my household, <laughs> and while she's very tolerant of my brewing, uh, I know things would be better if I could make a sweeter product that she'd enjoy. I've tried adding fruit and honey to my beer, but it always winds up fermenting totally dry. How can I create a fruit beer that still has a good amount of sweetness to it?" Well, you can use artificial sweeteners um, is one yeah. one fairly easy way because they won't get um, uh, consumed by the yeast, and uh, you know that's probably the simplest way. You can you can uh, you know pasteurize your beer or add a uh, you know like a wine conditioner, and it may not ferment out quite as readily. Um, wine conditioner is sugar with you know some sort of um, preservatives to uh, stun the yeast keep it from from fermenting but it's not 100 percent. i guess the only reason he's worried about that too is that he's he's the bottle conditioner so he didn't want to kill all the yeast too what i would do if it was me would be i would get you know some sort of syrup and i put a little bit in the glass first and then uh, i'd add the beer to that and uh just serve it to her that way that's true you know i wouldn't wouldn't screw up a whole batch of beer (laughs) making it sweet Oh, yeah, it's true. I was thinking you, know, you could add you could add some some honey malt or caramel malt. Yeah, um, and then but, uh, less uh, bittering hop. Yeah, cut back on the way, cut way back on your bittering hops. Add some crystal malts, uh, honey malts, things like that. They're they're all have a, a, a definite sweetness to them that doesn't ferment out. And um, but that'll, as you said, that'll change the whole beer. Right. And he may be better off just tailoring it for his wife uh, with uh, some syrup at the end. Right. But if she likes something like, um, you know, um, fat tire or something like that, that tends to, it has a overall, you know, not a very bitter beer, mm-hmm. a lot of biscuity character. Uh, a lot of people like that. Um, you know, you can make a beer along those lines. Or make her a cosmopolitan and get on with your brewing. <laughs> right. You know. Or divorce her, find somebody else. <laughs> All right. P. 
Peter wrote into you guys, uh, and he found an article about drying homegrown hops in a microwave. He says, my Chinook hops will be uh, ready for harvest in February. And uh, he's going he's gonna to do a wet hop uh, harvest ale, but thinks he's going to have a whole lot left over and wants to dry them out. What do you guys think about the microwave drying method? Don't know. I would imagine <laughs> the problem is it's going to add too much heat. Um very quickly to you know uh, the uh, the cell material of the of the leaves inside out, yeah. and um, it's going to break down that that leaf material. You want to slowly desiccate it. You don't want to boil the leaves because yeah, you don't want to steam the hops. Yeah, it's going to uh, break down that cell material, and then I think you're going to end up with a slimy mess. Um, try it on a few. See if it works. It's not going to dry them. Um, you know, you would have to. Pulse, you know, tiny bits of microwaves to heat it up and then, you know, get it out of the microwave so the steam could dissipate and they could dry. I, I just don't think it's, it would work very well. Um, you know, if you live anywhere where it's sunny and warm, if you get uh, screen material from, you know, mm-hmm. the, the Home Depot or whatever, make yourself a, a giant screen. Just spread them all out on there in a, in a single layer on a, on a you, know, you know, a nice... Uh, a day where it's you know warm out and there's a little bit of a breeze and they'll dry in no time like that. That's really you know probably the best way to go. You can use a hair dryer on the same setup at that point too, can't you? In between right. the two screens. Uh yeah, or um, you know you 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 build a box hmm. and the hops go um, on a screen in the box and you're you make it in your own uh, oast I guess they call them and you uh, just input a, a hair dryer at the bottom or even just a regular fan on a decent day it doesn't have to be that hot you put a a heating pad in there and a fan pulling air in and and just the air rises up through the the hops on the screen and uh you know real effective and uh cheap to set up i mean you can use cardboard box it doesn't have to be you know manufactured anything really serious and it'll dry your hops quite well uh take the the moisture right out of them so Mm -hmm. i'm just not sure about microwaves yeah, you can buy uh, food dehydrators too, which uh, uh-huh. do a nice job. It's low again, same thing. Right, low heat, air movement. Yeah. yeah. The only problem with those is I think you know it doesn't hold quite no, that so, much. Right. And then you know I think yeah, you can, you can uh, make something cheaper. I've done it before. Is I've taken the screen off my sliding glass door and used that. You know, right. Just yeah. Comes there right you go. off. Laid across yeah. a couple of things. Throw the hops. <laughs> yeah. Out. A couple of sawhorses or sure. chairs or yeah, something. You've got one already. Yeah. Nobody needs to build one. Yeah. Yeah. You don't. You don't need to toast them. You just need to dry them Good out. Some, air, some right. better moist reducing the moisture so and, and the higher the heat you go the more um i i guess the more of the there's some differences in the aromatics some of those oils right you know if you can use them for dry hopping um you know it's better to go with as gentle uh, heat as possible mm. uh you know of course if you're not going to use them for dry hopping if you just throw them in the boil anyways all that it doesn't matter whether you do it at, uh, I think, uh, you know, 80 degrees or, you know, 150. I don't think it's going to make a difference at that point. Okay. It may, but I don't think so. All right. And a question for Palmer, actually. John, we had this question come through on the session, and we weren't prepared for it, so I thought we'd throw it over to you. And okay. a listener had written in asking about um, what effect having a, a nickel container would have on finished beer. So uh, nickel plated. Yeah. Well, he just said nickel. So yeah, nickel plated. Maybe he's just talking about uh, you know hammering out a whole bunch of nickels into a giant. <laughs> into uh, yeah. So, so I, I, it, 
it sounded the way he phrased the question was he wasn't talking about fermenting in it. He he said in contact with finished beer. So, what do you think? Nickel nickel platings are highly corrosion resistant. Um, it's nickel is not a metal that you want in contact with the beer during fermentation uh, necessarily um, because uh, oh, it, I forget what it does. It may be like tin where it causes haze or something, but um, the the toxicity of it is not an issue for. You know, if it's if you're talking about a nickel plated pot or a nickel plated um, tube or you know a line or you know uh, fitting, um, that nickel plating is highly corrosion resistant and the beer won't affect it. Uh, so I don't anticipate any problems like that. If you're if for some reason you've got a nickel plated boil pot, that's probably not the best um, material to be using. Um, I don't. I mean, it just as a general cautionary statement um, from a beer quality point of view. Um, again, toxicity is not going to be an issue, even though nickel is highly shouted as a carcinogen. Blah 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 blah. Um, that's that's really overblown. Um, How about nic- people that have uh, nickel allergies? Right? Isn't that that's, a common yeah. allergy? Yeah. It is. It really is. And then see, it's it's a totally different mechanism uh-huh. where uh, nickel dermatitis uh-huh. from uh, rings and watches and earrings and stuff. Yeah, I mean, um, so it somebody up, with a nickel allergy by drinking a, a beer stored this way wouldn't necessarily have the same problem. No, and we were I, when I when I worked for 3M in in the orthodontics R and D. Um, we would get that question all the time. Uh, you know, talk to doctors would you know call in and say, "Hey, I've got this patient with a nickel allergy. Uh, what you know, what should I do?" And you know, because everybody uses stainless steel brackets that contain you know eighteen to twenty percent nickel. nickel yeah. um, and nickel titanium arch wires are fifty percent nickel. <laughs> but the thing is, the um, they may have nickel dermatitis where they, you know, break out on their surface of their skin, mm-hmm. but they wouldn't have any problem in their mouth. Hmm. Different environment, um, different, different sensitivity, different exposure. I mean, it just it changes. So, um, I, I think I want to. What I'm trying to say is, I caution everybody not to take nickel concerns too far. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people get up. Uh, they talk about um, asbestos and, and uh, beryllium and so on. Well, you know, these things are only hazardous if uh, you inhale them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you're staring at a, a, a chunk of beryllium, it's not going to hurt you unless it falls on your foot. Mm-hmm. So, uh, same thing with nickel. Unless you drop it on your foot, it's probably fine. So, go ahead and uh, store it in that nickel container and drink that beer. And uh, if you have a problem, it's uh, John Palmer. <laughs> right, really, and and to one final note. I mean, with any with any uh, potential uh, metal toxicity, um, your first sign of a problem is going to be a feeling of nausea if if you are getting some sort of acute poisoning from it. So you must have been storing your beer, Justin, in some sort of a container that gave me metal toxicity. I think so. That's that's the reason for the nausea. And see, and I knew the answer to this because I had already asked Palmer before that happened. Ah, I see. It was a conspiracy. I see. I see. Yeah. Uh huh. 
All right. Here's a good question about Icebach. Uh, Ron says, I brewed an Icebach, 1098 OG, 1020 final gravity. After primary, I racked to a corny. It's been at 32 degrees for about 10 weeks. Beer tastes great, but now it's time to freeze it, and I need help. I don't want to ruin a damn good beer. Any advice on the process and equipment needed to make an Icebach? So what does he do now with it? Listen to Doc's show on Icebox. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's, that's right. And he did make a mean Icebox, too. Yeah. Well, and you, you essentially, what I what I do is I take, you know, if it's in a corny keg, um, it has to be in something. You can't freeze it in like a glass container. Um, you know, so you take your corny keg, put it in the freezer, and uh, every, you know, 15 minutes or so, uh, you know, give it first, you know, a, a good you know, half hour. It depends on how cold it is. If it's already close to freezing, you know, shake it a little bit, check it every few minutes, give it a shake, and you'll hear it start to get slushy inside. And what you're looking for is removing about 10% of the water as ice. And, you know, what, or whatever concentration you want to get. Generally, it's about 10%. So you, you listen to it get slushy, and then, uh, you know, you just put a, a jumper onto another keg, and then uh, transfer the beer over. The ice is left behind. And once you've done that, you can open up the keg and see how much ice is in there. You can go ahead and melt it, put it into another uh, you know, container, measure it, and I'll tell you how much you yeah. removed so you have an idea of what your, your finishing uh, alcohol and uh, you know, gravity is and all that. Um, the thing to do is not to freeze it solid, and then thaw it, and then try and freeze it again and do all that, that really screws up your beer as far as I can tell. So, you know, be very attentive. Don't go off and do something else and forget about it and freeze it into a block. That's not good. Yeah, you have to watch it and make sure it yeah. doesn't over. time I did it, I've done it twice, uh, I use it like a two-and-a-half-gallon keg because I can't get a mm-hmm. five-gallon in my freezer. Uh and I for I put it in there for about four hours, and I found out that the first at the first and I did this twice. So uh, first, in about four hours, I noticed that uh, all the, the around the edge of the container it was forming a block of ice, mm. and in the middle it was it was soft. So <laughs> you know, uh, of course, I know the I know the empty weight of my container. So mm-hmm. so I basically I, I push all the the liquid beer off of the uh, out mm-hmm. of the keg after the four hours. Mm-hmm. Then I measure the weight remaining, and then I see if right. I've got the reduction I wanted or right. not. Uh, what I did, I usually do, is then I'll take the results of that and put that in the freezer for probably like overnight because it's mm-hmm. got the higher alcohol. It's not going right. to four hours is not going to make much happen at all. So right. again, you need to monitor it because mm-hmm. your freezer temperature is going to be different than mine. Mm-hmm. And then you know you just push off again, measuring, and you'll be able to actually you know based on the on the uh, alcohol content of the. Uh, you started with and the weight of the water that you removed pretty much will know what the uh, Mm -hmm. final alcohol content is right and uh you know don't don't over concentrate it either it ends up uh syrupy and alcoholic and not not a good beer so um you know it's just to concentrate it a little bit you know for a traditional ice box um you know so don't don't go nuts all right. All right. Well, let's uh, take another short break, and when we come back, we'll get back to more of your questions. Keep your carboy cap on. This is Bruce Strong. We'll be right back. <laughs> 
you support the Brewing Network? Do you brew your own? Are you looking for any economical, fun, and legal way to do both? Subscribe to Brew Your Own magazine and do just that. All year long, Brew Your Own will surprise you, entertain you, and educate you with articles on beer and brewing from authors like the Brewing Network's very own Jamel Zalashev and John Palmer. Each issue is a full pint of brewing techniques, homebrew stories, tips and photos, projects to make yourself, and recipes for the avid home brewer. Get your tough questions answered by Mr. Wizard. And polish your style accuracy with Jamil. A portion of every subscription goes to the Brewing Network, so subscribe today at byo.com slash brewingnetwork or just click the BYO logo on the Brewing Network homepage and support a fantastic hobby and your favorite broadcaster. Brew your own. The how-to homebrew beer magazine. Hey, what are you doing, man? Writing a review of WLP 400. What? You're reviewing yeast? Yeah. White Labs has home brewer reviews of all their strains. Are you new to these interwebs? Check it out. That's awesome. White Labs, your source for great yeast, invites all brewers to visit whitelabs.com to read and write your own reviews of all their yeast strains. Get real-world tips and tricks from other brewers who have made the most of their vials and post your own experiences. It's another way White Labs brings you closer to the best yeast on the planet. And send. There you go. You misspelled flocculate, dude. What? Ah. Uh, White Labs. It's all in the vial. Hi, this is Push from the Brewing Network, and I want to tell you about the Brewmaster's Warehouse and how you can get 10% off your next order. I'm a pretty techie guy, but I've never seen an online store like this. It's awesome. Go to brewmasterswarehouse.com and click on Brew Builder. You can whip up a custom recipe so easily even Sven could do it. Seriously, it's slick. You can share your recipe with your own logo and notes to the Brewmaster's database if you want. And the best part, it keeps a running tally of the beer you're building while you're doing it. Then, bam, click Buy Recipe and your cart is filled and ready to go with helpful suggestions in case you forgot something. This thing is amazing. Brewmaster's Warehouse is run the way a home brewer would do it with great service, fast turnaround, and $6.99 flat rate shipping. Brewmaster's Warehouse and the Brew Builder blew me away. Check it out today at brewmasterswarehouse.com. I'm serious. And don't forget to put BNARMY in the discount code box for 10% off your order. Check out brewmasterswarehouse.com. Cheers. BN Army members, are you looking for a discount on hops? Keep listening. Nico's Homebrew Supply at nicobrew.com has hops by the ounce and by the pound. Choose from varieties like Amarillo, Centennial, East Kent Goldings, Hollertower, Simcoe, Summit, Tomahawk, Warrior, Willamette, and more. And adding new varieties all the time, many for less than 20 bucks a pound. Whether a couple ounces at a time or an 11-pound bag, all hops are shipped vacuum-sealed and frozen straight to you. Nico's Homebrew Supply offers store-wide $5 flat-rate shipping and won't waste your money on unnecessary overhead or advertising. They're going bare bones and passing the savings on to you. The staff at Nico's Homebrew Supply loves to brew and is committed to keeping homebrewing affordable and accessible to anyone who wants to join in this great hobby. And for a limited time, use coupon code BNARMY at checkout for a Brewing Network discount. Visit NicoBrew.com. That's N-I-K-O Brew.com for your hops and more. NicoBrew.com, your bare bones buddy in the brewing business. 
Hey, Push, the new brewery's looking good. Thanks, Finn. Piece by piece. Well, let's fire her up. Whoa! Is that a new kettle? Yeah, just got it brand new, but paid half price. What? And that blade scale? 40% off. The new tap handle? Five bucks instead of 13. Got a new regulator for the brew stand, too, but five bucks instead of 25. Dude, where are you stealing all this stuff from? Where else? The more beer deal of the day. Announcing the Beer, Beer, and More Beer Deal of the Day. Every day, a new fantastic deal from big items to small that will blow you away. Boil kennels, carboy carriers, sterile siphon starters, digital timers. Watch morebeer.com every day for a new deal, and you just might find the item you've been waiting for at a price you cannot believe. Hurry, because stock is limited on most items. And that sweet Guinness cap, let me guess. The The More Beer beer Deal deal of of the day. Day. Yeah, I knew it. Come on, let's brew something. Find the more beer deal of the day at morebeer.com. Celebrity voices impersonated. You're listening to the Brewing Network. Learning to brew has never been so disgusting. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. Live Q&A with uh, Palmer, McDowell, and Zanishef, and uh, Crosley. Taking your questions. That's looking right. pretty across the board. That's right. My job. <laughs> All right, Dave's in the chat room for the first time, and he's got a question for you guys. Uh, is it possible to adjust the chloride to sulfate ratio post-fermentation? So he's thinking about uh, experimenting by adding salts into the keg and trying to dial in a water profile for a certain beer. What do you think? Yeah, that's that's well, possible. Yeah, that's yeah. possible. What what effect would it have? I mean, um, I, I guess it would have uh, just about the same effect, anyways. I mean, mm-hmm. the I mean the impact on the boil definitely is there. You know, in you know affecting things like pH and maybe um, you know uh, formation of break material and. Um, uh, magnesium effects, uh, hopulization, I think, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. Uh, but you know, there are effects of you know chloride and sulfate in uh, in um, well in the drinking I've, as well. So yeah, I've I've been talking with Colin Kaminsky quite a bit about this. He's done a lot of uh, you know trial brews with different ratios of chloride to sulfate. And uh, his his comment is that um, for lager styles, um, the the highest you really want to go is like two to one chloride to sulfate. Um, if you go above, say two or three to one, uh, you start um, tasting um, salty effects. It 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 isn't as pleasant. Um, but with sulfate to chloride. Um, you can get up to uh, like eight or nine to one uh, for a hoppy IPA and still have a positive, uh, you know, effect. In his in his opinion, you know, with all the trial brews he's done. So, um, if you know, you know, if you know what the water was going into the beer, you can make a fair guess at what it is, you know, in the beer itself, and uh, try, you know, increasing. Um, the salts uh, accordingly. Um, oh. They should be fairly d- soluble in, in the beer. Mm-hmm. 
I, you know, don't go overboard, of course. Yeah. And you could do it, uh, you know, in a small trial. Just, uh, you know, get yourself uh, a liter of beer and, uh, you know, dose that. And then don't do your whole batch until you figure it out. On yeah, the do, do it batch. in a pint glass, not yeah. that. And right. uh, that should be good. What about uh, phosphoric acid, uh, for instance, for adjust the pH after the fact? Sure. I know it's used in, in soft drinks as a flavor enhancer. Yeah. Why couldn't it be used in beer as a flavor enhancer as well? I imagine it could. Okay. Yeah. Small amounts. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Paul has a question that I've had in the past. I think we talked about it on Can You Brew It? Uh, he's wondering what the best way to split up a yeast starter is when brewing 10 gallons and fermenting in two five-gallon carboys. Mm. He asked maybe about uh, putting the yeast in his boil kettle, assuming he's cooled it down enough and putting the yeast in there and then drink, you know, when he, before he drains it into the carboys. Uh, sure. Um, what yeah. do you, what do you, what's the best way to split a batch of yeast? That's, a, that's an excellent way. Um, you know... Um, Matter of fact, you know, you can add it to the kettle, uh, cover it, and uh, let them start fermenting there in the kettle, and then separate it out into the two. Then they'd really, you, you yeah. they wouldn't be sitting at the bottom, you're saying, because right. they'd be up and moving around. Yeah. Yeah. How cold would he have to get, you know, you're, you're a fan of pitching at, at your firm mm-hmm. temp. Would you say he needs to get his kettle down to that? Uh, no, but, you know, you need to get down to like, you know, 70s or so. Yeah. You know. Uh, don't don't go you know mid 80s or anything like that you know get it down to a reasonable region and you know let it go for you can let it go for a, f- a few hours and then you know continue to cool during that time and you know dump it to your carboys and, okay. and uh yeah that'll right. work okay diff dude in the chat room wants to know how a continuously recirculating mash affects the fermenti- uh, fermentability and flavor the final beer. He's actually Rick from Denver. It's his real name. So a continuous recirc of the mash. Well, Tasty does that. <laughs> yeah. Comes out real good. Next question. <laughs> Turns out good. Comes out great. Uh, fermentability. Um, and it might affect it based off of, uh, you know, it depends what on... What is like the recirc? Is it any different than... I mean, you're just moving the, right. the liquor past the well, grain rather than the grain past the liquor. I mean, Yeah, it, I, I would say that, you know... There's potential for it to change fermentability, but only in that you know, you're getting better contact, uh, better movement of the enzymes in contact with the grains, and you're covering more of the area of the of the uh, of the uh, the little bits of uh, starch. And if at one point you're at a lower temperature versus let's say you start at 148 and you run that for, you know, 10 minutes and then you go to, you know, 154 for, you know, 30 minutes or something like that. If you're not recirking and you do that pattern versus you are recirking and you do that pattern, I imagine you probably get a little bit better fermentability from doing the recirc. The research itself isn't necessarily causing better fermentability, but you're just getting more conversion at that lower temp right. uh, a little more effectively. You're moving uh, the enzymes right. enzymes around for them. They're, so they that's, don't have to that's the only the only way it yep. would really affect it. Do you got anything uh, any different thoughts, John? No, I mean uh, everything you said is correct. The oh, thank you. other <laughs> another <laughs> aspect is the uh, Dave. It wasn't. Wort nutrition, the 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 nutrition of the fermentation. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There are studies that show that a more turgid mash provides more more nutrients to the yeast, which can you know promote a stronger fermentation. 
And uh, a number of years ago, they I remember in brewing techniques, they compared a rims mash versus a single infusion mash. Mm-hmm. And, you know, same same amount of yeast pitched, et cetera. And found, you know, differences in clarity. One, the, I forget which, if they said one uh, fermented more strongly than the other, but they found subtle differences in flavor between the two beers. More recent studies, you know, in the professional brewing literature has talked about, you know, the overall um, vigor of the fermentation with, as a function of clarification. And, they concluded it was really kind of academic. I mean, you make adjustments for that, you know, by uh, adding yeast nutrient or pitching more yeast, and it made you know differences in in vigor negligible or or inconsequential. Uh, whether you you know depending on the amount of clarification you did, um, Germans or European brewers, you know, swear by. Recirculation and high clarification of the wort because they're looking for a, a much clearer beer in the package. Um, you know, English or American craft brewers don't do as much because they're not as concerned about the clarity of the beer. They're looking to get um, a good, healthy fermentation with what they've got. It it, it just kind of depends on where you want to where you want to place the beer. All right. Cal Ale in the chat room has a question. When scaling a recipe up to make it an imperial, do specialty malts need to be raised as well? He's thinking of, you know, kind of like Scottish ales, where the only factor that changes is the base malt. Right. Well, it depends on what you're trying to achieve when you say imperial. Um, if if all you mean is, you know, more alcohol and maybe a little more body and, uh, you know, uh, more residual sweetness, then, yeah, you would just adjust up the... Uh, the base malt, but um, you know, just just like uh, you know, if you're changing for efficiency. But if you um, you know want something more intense, like uh, my friends uh, uh, Harold Branson and Peter Zine, they uh, they had one time brewed this uh, this uh, imperial wit beer that was like a brewed to barley wine type strength. And not only did they you know go to a higher alcohol, but they you know added more orange peel, more you know. Uh, coriander, whatever they were adding, and brought all those flavors up as well. And so, you know, it'd be the same thing making an Imperial IPA. You wouldn't just change the base malt. You'd change, you know, the hops as well. If you're trying to make something, you know, more intense, um, uh, Deschutes with their, um, what is it, their Mirror Mirror, or uh, mm-hmm. and also their... Um, was it the uh, their, 20 yeah the porter the, the xx Black, uh, yeah, the XX, yeah. yeah they uh they essentially just doubled the recipe uh as i recall so that included all the specialty grains and everything and it, it ab- absolutely makes it more intense those specialty flavors more intense and if that's not what you want then you know scale it back so uh, but you can do it either way depends on what your goal is okay Anthony was tuned in today, and he says, I just brewed Jay-Z's Dark Strong Belgian Ale. OG was 1088, and it finished out at 1036 using a 530 uh, yeast with a one-gallon starter. He says it tastes great, but it's too sweet. Should I repitch some more 530 from a new starter, uh, or could I use the 001 yeast cake from a 7% IPA he has sitting around, I guess? You can use the yeast cake. Here's the thing. Um, 
you know, they, that yeast cake is going to have some bitterness to it um, that may transfer to the beer, which may be okay if it's sweet. Um, also, it's probably going to have some hop flavor as well. Again, may or may not be what you want in there, especially if you used a lot of, like, uh, you know, CTZ uh, hops. Um, if you do use a yeast cake, what you want to do is first get it active. So you'll take some of whatever yeast you're going to pitch, and you're going to add that to some starter wort and uh, wait until the yeast get up and start, you know, just forming a croissant on the top, and then, um, you know, add those yeast. Might be better to to take a note from Tasty's playbook here, <laughs> and um, you know brew another batch of beer, and uh, you know with whatever yeast, and uh, you know but not something really hoppy um, or really bitter, and when the yeast rise to the surface, top crop that yeast and immediately throw it into your uh, your other beer, mm. and that will uh, that will probably work well. Like brew a golden strong and uh, yeah, just push that crazy right over to the next fermenter. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, might have to pull out your uh, pro mash memories here for this next one. Pilot ninety eight's in the chat room and he wants to know: Can pro mash be configured for batch sparging in the mash schedule page, or is he missing something? I guess he can't find it. You guys remember that? You can do a batch sparge in there. I don't batch. Sparge I don't. Yet. I don't think so. Uh, like the other software does, what beer tools and Beer Smith. Beer Smith. Beer Smith. I yeah. They, they. I think they both have uh, batch sparging settings or something. I don't know. Um, I don't batch sparge. I mean, I I have in the past, but there really wasn't anything to calculate. I think because um, I just make up as much sparge water as I need, and then <laughs> when you collect your volume, you're done. Yeah, when you get to your volume, you're you're done. Uh, so you you just fill it up once, and then you know run it out, and then. You fill it up again and run until you have whatever your volume is. But I'm sure he wants a better way of calculating it than that. I I don't know. I don't think it does. They haven't updated ProMash in ages. Yeah, it's true. And we've tried to get the, I don't remember his name, we tried to get him on the air to talk about Jeffrey it. Donovan. Jeffrey Donovan. But uh, we haven't been able to. He's a little unresponsive. So Yeah. Because there's a lot of questions that come through about ProMash. Yeah, well. Okay, uh, Boulder Bay Brewing is in the chat. And he says, I made a yeast starter. And I ended up not adding it to my fermenter for six days. Mm-hmm. And I think what he's saying is now he has, and it's been 30 hours, and I don't see any signs of fermentation. Repitch hmm. or wait a little longer. Well, was it an active uh, starter? Or was, it sounds like it would probably be still since he waited Sounds like it. So if he, yeah, yeah. That maybe he grew it up and then it went back to sleep. Did, huh? he, did he leave it warm? No information. That's all I have. I mean, if you leave it warm... Sitting there warm, it's gonna. They're gonna eat up all their glycogen, and yeah, you're gonna have a big lag when you add it, and and they try and start up again. Um, if after the the starter was finished growing, you put it in the fridge for six days, should be ready to ready to go. Um, yeah, it's ideal if you use it right away, but six days it shouldn't be a problem. But mm-hmm. six days warm out at you know seventy degrees, yeah, they burn through what little reserves they had probably. Yeah, I probably need to get a get a wand in the fermenter and whip it up, get some air in there. Yeah, it's been thirty hours. You know, if if you have one of these fermentations where, um, especially high gravity, um, you pitch your yeast, 
and you don't see anything after 12 hours, between 12 and 18 hours, let's say up to like 18 hours, um, you know, go ahead and hit it with oxygen at that point. Um, You know, but once you start getting too much past that, you don't want to necessarily add too much oxygen. Um, uh, You know, I would question why this yeast hasn't been going. Um, You know, something weird has been happening along the way. What kind of beer was it, did you say? What kind of fermentation temperature? And gravity? Warm it up. Uh, You know, kick the temperature up if it's, you know, it might be too cold. And, so you're not uh, saying repitch because that's kind of what he wanted to know. If you're worried about this yeah. yeast, wouldn't you wouldn't you repitch that? Uh, you can. Yeah. Okay. You know, chances are the yeast is already growing and multiplying. It's just taking a long time. Okay. Yeah, and he probably has reduced cell count because maybe right. a lot of the cells did die. Right. Yeah. Or you know they're they're just you know so weak from sitting around warm. So uh, yeah, that's why the oxygen will help. It'll give them more sterols for uh, you know more replication for you know those fluidity of the uh, cell wall things like that so okay all right proof man in the chat room says stan hieronymus mentions in brood like a monk that more yeast growth equals higher alcohols but but less esters uh-huh so he wants to know if you agree yeah and uh okay and then at what point in the fermentation timeline is that chance for higher alcohol production decreased enough for a temperature increase in his fermentation Oh, it's after like 48 hours. Oh, okay. You start cranking. Wow, so it really does happen in those first couple of days. Yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah, it's all that initial period where the gro- where mo- well, I mean, there might be some growth happening after that, but usually not. But yeah, you know, the growth actually limits uh, ester production while it's growing. Now, there's other factors in there where if you, you know, grow too much where you under pitch and you grow too much and the cell walls you know become uh, the yeast have trouble maintaining uh you know their cell walls things like that. you can get other other problems um you know there's other compounds that the yeast need to create and during that creation you know you end up with more diacetyl you end up with a lot of things in the the fusel alcohols but yeah generally as long as they're growing uh, you know, you end up with more fusel alcohols, those hot solventy alcohols, and you end up with um, less esters. Although, uh, you know, it's the alcohols that are used in ester production. So, um, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, just about, you know, when he could increase the, yeah, 40, the temperature. 48 hours. Um, you okay. can start ramping it up from there. Okay. Um, you know, what you want is controlled growth. You want, uh, you don't want too little growth. You don't want too much growth. You want, you know, a nice, you know, you want X amount of growth. And, you know, you want that to be consistent, beer to beer to beer. Okay. Uh, you know, if you're doing different styles, then maybe you want different growth. But if you're that same beer, if you're a production brewery, you get the same growth every time. You want to pitch the same amount. You want to provide the same nutrients. You want the yeast to be in the same health, the same temperature. And that way, it's consistent growth. Excessive growth, too little growth are both bad for the uh, overall beer quality. All right. Uh, David has a question. He says, a while back, Jamil mentioned a key to brewing lower-gravity beers like a mild is to, de- to decrease the efficiency, use a coarse, a coarse crush, and decrease sparge. So he says, with that, then, how do you get your pre-boil volume? 
Do you have to add water? You can to add the water. Kettle? So yeah. you do just add yeah, water. Yeah, and and really, uh, you know, after all our malt crushing show, <laughs> uh, I, you know, I would maybe just go, you know, do everything the same as normal. Uh, use a higher mash temperature. Use everything the same as normal, and then just take your first runnings and add water to it, and uh, that would be it. All right, let's take a short break, and when we come back, we'll wrap up uh, the Q and A show. Back after this. Smart. Brew Strong. This is Brew Strong. From the stovetop to a camp burner to some kind of brew stand. Most homebrewers follow some version of this progression. With each move, a homebrewer will often have to change a lot, if not all, of their equipment. Until now. Glickman Engineering brings you the top-tier brewing stand. The only brewing stand that grows with you. For example, buy a top-tier floor-standing burner now, and it'll bolt right to your top-tier brewing stand when you're ready for all-grain brewing. The top-tier brewing stand is perfect for 5-gallon to 20-gallon batch sizes. Its modular design is adjustable and accommodates everything from small footprint coolers up to 30-gallon pots. How does the top-tier brewing stand do it? At its core is a strong, heat-treated, and anodized aluminum main post. On all four sides are built-in T-slots for the adjustable heavy-gauge stainless steel shelves and beefy burner tiers. The tiers accommodate any manufacturer's pots or coolers up to 21 inches in diameter. Best of all, not only does the top-tier brewing stand grow with your skills and equipment, but it easily knocks down for long-term storage or transport, too. The top-tier brewing stand from Blickman Engineering. Learn more at BlickmanEngineering.com and to find a local Blickman retailer and start brewing from the top tier. Wow, there sure are a lot of entries this year. Yeah, what gives? I don't know. It must be because of the new bottle shipping system from Clark Brewing Innovations. You think? Yeah, it's gotta be. The bottle shipping system provides protection for the bottle's most vulnerable areas during shipping. Plus, look how easy it is to stack and store the entries. I like them because I don't have to unwrap all that silly bubble wrap, tape, and peanuts that most entries come packaged in. Which makes it easy to ship and reduces waste. Now that's what I call an innovative solution. Definitely. I wish every competitor used them. Competition coordinators, have your competitors ease their shipping hassles and your packaging nightmare by going to www.clarkbrewing.com to place their orders for the new and improved bottle shipping system from Clark Brewing Innovations. That's www.clarkbrewing.com. www.clarkbrewing.com. You got it? Good. Now just ship it. Nico, listen, our lawyer said that we had to do this for one hour, and after this, we don't have to talk to each other for three more months and then to the next meeting. Kids. Come on, let's get out of here. I'm supposed to have more lines. I'm the professional. <clears throat> 
Hey, it's Sully. And I'm Nico. And we opened the 21st Amendment 10 years ago at 563 2nd Street in San Francisco, just two blocks from Giants Park, to make great beer and have a great time doing it. That's right, because to us, the 21st Amendment is more than just the right to make beer. It's the right to experiment, to be innovative, and just do things differently. And so now, we're putting our craft beer in cans. That's right, cans. You can find our world-famous Heller High Watermelon Wheat Beer at Brew Free or Die IPA in the Northeast, Northwest, parts of the Midwest, and Alaska in cans and on draft. So next time you're at your local neighborhood pub or good beer store, be sure to ask for 21st Amendment in cans. Because everyone likes it in the can. Tasty Crack Cans. Tasty Crack Cans. Williams Brewing is your online resource for prompt delivery of quality home brewing supplies. Since 1979, Williams Brewing has offered the finest equipment and freshest ingredients and the best customer service in the business. Cut hours off your brewing sessions by using one of our 11 varieties of famous Williams Malt Extract. Our Williams Belgian Pale Extract is mashed with pure Belgian two-row malt and a small percentage of Belgian wheat malt for an authentic Belgian character you just can't get from other extracts. Or check out our unique fermenters, two-and-a-half-gallon kegs, paintball tank-based draft beer equipment, bottling aids, and much more. We even have our own line of precision hydrometers. Go to williamsbrewing.com to browse our vast selection. That's williamsbrewing.com. Orders placed by 3.30 p.m. Pacific time ship the same day. Brewing is easy. The Williams way. There's an app on the iPhone for just about everything, including beer. Apps for finding a pint of beer. Apps that look like you're drinking a pint of beer. And now, there's an app for brewing a pint of beer. Introducing BrewPal, the most all-inclusive beer brewing app for professionals and hobbyists that fits in your pocket and goes wherever you do. Recipe formulation that can be imported and exported with a customizable database. Mash and sparge calculations, yeast pitching rates, carbonation tables, and more. Available right now for less coin than a pound of grain. See BrewPal in action at brewpal.info and download it for your iPhone at a special introductory price right now. BrewPal, all the brewing software you need, right in your pocket. This is Sit down next to it, grab yourself a paper towel, and watch those yeast have sex. You're listening to the Brewing Network. Back to your hosts, Jamil Zanashev and John Palmer. Putting the testicles in technical. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. Live Q&A. I'm going to wrap up this show here with a few more questions, and then uh, it'll be uh, a couple more shows before we're doing another live Q&A. We do this every uh, third show because uh, we figured out that people actually like these. A uh, chance to, uh, you know, for you guys to guide the topics and uh, let us uh, fill you in. If you enjoy this show or any of the programming on the Brewing Network, you should uh, get yourself over to uh, the main page of the Brewing Network, thebrewingnetwork.com. There's a Donate Now button, 
And what that little button allows you to do, you can, uh, for as little as two bucks a month, uh, help support the uh, the Brewing Network and get get all these shows free. Consider, if you were to uh, get all this information any other way, there's a heap of information on the Brewing Network that you get every month. Um, uh, if you were to get it anyway, it'd be a, a heck of a lot more than twenty four bucks a year. And with that, you also get uh, if you're a recurring donor. I mean, you can just donate once if you want. That's great. Any amount. Greatly appreciated. But if uh, you set up for recurring donations, uh, again, two bucks a month, you get each month uh, there is a uh, more beer donation giveaway, which is uh, you win your new uh, brewing gear. They give away, uh, they've given away conicals. They've given away a sculpture, a uh, whole big old brewing system, uh, trips. Uh, haven't they given away uh, GABF trips? Yeah, yeah, last year we gave away GABF. A fully paid trip to the GABF, mm-hmm. uh, draft systems, other stuff. A really great raffle prices. I mean, things that if somebody told you they were raffling it off and a ticket was, uh, uh, you know, two bucks, you'd say, can I have a hundred of them? You know, you, you, serious stuff. So uh, get there. You know, that, that money goes to, uh, you know, support all the programming and, uh, uh, keeps these shows uh, as good as they are. All right, what's our uh, next question? All right, Thomas from uh, Sweden, I believe, is in the chat room today. Mm-hmm. He says, uh, I have 10 gallons of uh, Beljo double sitting, and I've pitched, he says he's pitched too much yeast, so it got a little boring and watery, hmm. uh, is his explanation of it. Uh, it's it's FG's is 1008. So he wants to know, what do I do now? Can I dry hop it and... Uh, Make it taste better, or do I need to make another batch and blend it, <laughs> throw it away, give it to his beer-hating friends? All right. Well, it's, uh, you know, me, I always just throw it away and start over. Mm-hmm. Um, but Tasty, he's always willing to, uh, well, he doesn't have beers that go that bad. <laughs> uh, but he's always well, he's always willing to take a beer that's, that's you know, less than, than his ideal. He has very high levels of quality and very very high expectations so again it's you know it's not really that bad a beer but i mean you'll take a beer that um uh wasn't quite hoppy enough and you blend it with something else right sure i've done that yeah, yeah. No, actually yeah you, if it's a beer i like it's like for instance if i brew one of my staple beers and for some reason it comes out too dry or too sweet or something mm-hmm. because it's a beer that i we do i just go right. through you know through my kegerator i'll make another batch right and, and blend but it's those. not that bad a beer to start with that's no that's no, the only no problem. It's just, yeah yeah yeah, I didn't mean to say that, you know, like you're brewing bad beer. <laughs> you know? Well, it is bad by my standards. Like right, it, right. That, yeah, 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 it's not, right, it's not right. my beer. If it's but not if it's truly watery and lifeless and, you know, not good. Um, yeah, that's... Uh, hmm. As long as it isn't, you know, infected or, you know, contaminated in some way, I guess you could go ahead and do it. And, yeah, it may be dry hopping or, uh, right. uh, you know... Um, yeah, you could uh, you know brew something up uh, to add some character back to it. Uh, How about adding dextrins to that beer? Uh, dextrins, yeah, yeah, sure. Some maltodextrin powder. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you could boil up some maltodextrin powder, make a little syrup of it, add that. Right. Won't ferment out, and uh, you could add that. Or um, yeah, you could take some of that uh, Belgian uh, candy syrup. Yeah, yeah. You get one of the real dark ones. Pour that in there. There you go. I like that idea. That character and sweetness. Yeah, that stuff's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Question about hop bursting. Uh-huh. 
And I don't know what the term means, so you could maybe start when you answer with that. What is hop like huffing? But the question from Tour is, uh, how do you balance the bitter hops with all the fresh hop aroma and flavor? Right. Right. Um, uh, would you make a bitter hop addition or just put all the hops in the last 15 minutes? All right. Uh, I got a, a real nice uh, article I wrote for Zymergy on MrMalty.com. You go there, and it's called uh, you know late hopping or late hop aroma or something like that. And back when I wrote that, I had no idea anybody called this hop bursting. I didn't even know it existed because I hadn't heard it, of it before. But uh, apparently um, people call this hop bursting where you take all your hops and you don't do a bittering addition. You add it um, like you know the last 10 minutes of the boil. And you just go massive amounts of hops. And in a 10-minute boil, you do get some isomerization of the hop uh, uh, acids. And it does form those bittering compounds, but they don't tend to be, you know, very harsh. They tend to be, you know, fairly, um, you know, small amounts. And if you boil uh, hops for a long time, the bittering does get kind of harsh. Okay, so one of the, the advantages of this is you'll get a bitter beer with tons of flavor and aroma, but it won't be very bitter. It'll, or it won't be harsh. It'll be bitter, but not, not harsh. Um, and you can extend that out. You can go 15 minutes or something like that, 20 minutes if you want. Um, the professionals that I've talked to that are doing something along these lines, they almost always do like a 10 IBU addition earlier in the boil, like at 60 minutes. And uh, then they'll do the massive hops later on. That's what uh, Ale Smith is doing. I think that's what uh, I think Matt Brindelson, I also interviewed him for that article as well. Um, and I don't and think either do, of them has ever tried an all late hop. And why do they do that one addition? The pH issue? Uh, yeah, and you know efficiency. You know you can't have massive amounts of hot matter, and uh, also they feel like it gives you know some firmness to the bittering and. Uh, you know, it's just uh, also I'm sure some of the tannins help uh, with the the formation of hot break, mm, okay. uh, probably as well. There you go. Um, the uh, so you, you can add a little ad- addition in there. Um, uh, I think that's what I have in the evil twin recipe. Uh, that's on also in that that article. Or you can go to uh, Northern Brewer, northernbrewer.com, and they've got uh, evil twin kits. So you can actually uh, purchase that from uh, Northern Brewer. This is either all grain or extract. Uh, so uh, my evil twin uh, recipe there. Check it out. I think uh, I think they made a really nice kit of it, and you'll be uh, quite su- pleasantly surprised at uh, brewing that beer. Okay. Uh, another question about hops uh, from Metabolics in the chat room. Um, how do hop extracts differ in taste from traditional hop additions? Well, there's no flavor aroma. Uh, if it's a um, an ISO extract, it's just bitterness. Well, and they have some flavor uh, and aroma uh, extracts now. Yeah, and yeah, Brad, uh, uh, Matt uh, talked about those at one of the conferences mm-hmm. in HC a while back. And uh, one comment he made, which I think helps address this question, is that. Um, you, if you take like pure oils and try to combine them um, to create the kinds of aromas that you get in a naturally hopped beer from a couple of varieties, mm-hmm. he said it really doesn't work. You, you don't take 20% um, 
trinolol right. and and you know four percent myosine. So I try to combine these and to and you you just don't get quite the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of the a lot of the extracts you get are, are bitterness only. If you get some of the oil extracts, um, you I guess the the bottom line is they're different. They're different than what you'll get from uh, a real hop or uh, a certain combination of real hops. Um, but you know, if you combine it and and work with it and, to, uh, and use its character in developing a beer that tastes good, then you know that works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I think it's anything that you try and uh, you know, f- uh, food science where they engineer you know flavors and tastes and uh, you know to make you know packaged foods taste you know good and taste normal and they'll they'll look at things like uh, I've got you know friends whose wives do this um, uh, where they you know they look at a recipe and go oh okay you're using eggs it's uh, you know and you're using you know salt and uh, you know peanut butter and okay they break it down in all these chemicals and you know they replace a lot of the food actual foods with uh, stuff that are easier for manufacturing and you know if you go and buy yourself uh, you know some of those those products they're not bad I mean they're very good and they, they sell well but it's different than if you were to take the the regular raw ingredients and cook it yourself it, it tends to taste much better than something that's packaged for stability and you know manufacturing and I think that's kind of the same thing you're going to get with uh, some of these extracts so um, you know, I, I wouldn't say it's a bad thing if if you you know if you like it, then you know go for it. But uh, okay, all right. That's and the difference. Last question we have time today for uh, in your yeast shows, you guys uh, referred to the slurry thickness. How do I determine the density of the yeast slurry? And he's talking about uh, you know using mm-hmm. your Mr. Multi uh, right, pitching calculator right. as well, right? Yeah, the the Mr. Multi calculator has a little slider there where you can select different densities and purities of your yeast. And uh, here's you know there's a I've I've come up with a technique for so people could understand what um, various slurries look like. And uh, if you buy the yeast book that uh, I'm working on with Chris White. <laughs> If you finish it's it, in the, it's in there. It, yeah. yeah, if I finish it, right. it's in there. So uh, you just have to wait till fall to get your answer. It'll be uh, you know worth waiting for. Twenty one ninety five. Great. And, See you uh, next time. Yeah. No. Good question. <laughs> um, yeah, good question. Uh, that'll help book sales. Uh, no, I came up with a, a way of really kind of figuring this out. If you take a vial of White Labs yeast, okay, there is um, I don't have all the numbers written down for me right now. The total volume of the vial is like 47 milliliters, and they fill it to the little dent in the neck where the neck starts to straighten out, and that's like 36 or 30, yeah, 36 milliliters, I guess. And then the yeast portion, the bottom, is going to be like 14 milliliters. If you actually, uh, if you take the vial and, um, you know, that yeast one's packed down at the bottom, that's like 8 um a density of uh, 8 billion per milliliter. That's an 8 billion density, I think. Um, if, you sh- if you shake it up until all the yeast mixes with all the liquid, that's a density, a slurry density of about 3 billion per mil. Uh, if you take that, that vial, take the, the contents out, add um, 
uh, you add a, a, like 14 mils of water to it, you end up with about a, a 2 billion per mil. If you add uh, 50 mils of water to that, you're, you're looking at a 1 billion per mil density. So that gives you an idea of, you know, several different common densities. And you can compare that to um, visually to whatever slurry you have, and that should tell you pretty close what your, your slurry density is, and then you can go ahead and input that on the Mr. Multi-Calculator. Hmm. There you go. Okay. And the, the exact idea. numbers are in the in the book, but that's that's pretty much uh, that's pretty accurate. Get you from what I recall, yeah. That, but it definitely, you, sh- you shake up a, a vial. That's about a three billion uh, per mil density, and I think it's thirty six. You know, p- pour it into a graduated cylinder, and and then uh, from there you should be able to uh, add the appropriate amount of water to make it different densities. Okay. You know, if you d- double the volume, then you've got one and a half billion per mil. So make yourself up. You know. Uh, different densities and you figure it out um you know dry yeast uh you know you can figure out you know make up a you know a slurry with some dry yeast to figure that out as well all right and that's all we had time to get through i just want to say uh, uh sorry if we didn't get to your questions in the chat the best way to get your questions in is to get them in early we always send out a tweet and a facebook and it's on the website when we're doing these so you can email your questions in as soon as we post that there's a q a show coming up and it's the best way for us to get all of your questions answered but the chat was really great today with uh, yeah. a bunch of good questions so good thank stuff. you to you guys in there all right well, thank you, everybody. Thank you, uh, Mr. Tasty McDole, for, for coming in and sitting yeah, in thanks, with us. Tasty. You always have uh, great insights into the brewing process well, and how to, how to make that better. I really appreciate that. And John, it's always good to work with you. I just wish yes, we uh, lived closer together so we could hang out some more. Yeah, really. I'd like but, to drink more of your beer, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Why, thank you. <laughs> All right. Yeah. And if you get a chance, uh, you know, hit up our uh, our spectacular sponsor, uh, Blickman Engineering. You can reach them at BlickmanEngineering.com. Check them out. they got uh, lots of neat stuff uh, for the brewer that makes your brew day better and uh, uh, makes brewing more fun. And uh, if you get a chance, uh, if you're listening live, uh, I expect to see you all at the uh, Brewing Network uh, Winter Brews Fest, Saturday, January 30th, Linden Street Brewery in Oakland. Get yourself there. Uh, it's only twenty five bucks, and uh, food by Sean Pax and live music. Bunch of breweries. Uh, all the BN folks are going to be there, and it'll be a, a great time. And uh, if we don't see you there, I hope you're uh, you keep brewing, brewing a bunch of beer for yourself and for friends, and uh, most importantly, brewing strong. Brew strong, everybody. <laughs>